I believe I'm, there I am. Thank you, Kevin. Amen. Um, my name is Adam. I've already kind of been introduced, and I am riding bike with the team next week. Uh, I have, my wife told me I'm a little too negative on this, and I'm really trying to listen to her. Uh, generally, our wives are a lot wiser than we are, but I'm, can I just be negative for a minute? It's supposed to rain next weekend. Rain. And this crazy guy has me riding with him on a bike to Harvard. You know, before I took this job, I didn't even have a road bike. Anyway, enough of that. I am looking forward to it. My negativity's done. I am raising money for it. If you want to support me per mile, <laughs> join in. Uh, in all seriousness, I cannot thank you guys enough. Uh, as I listen to Tim tell the story of Cast a Vision of what you guys are about, I'm not sure. Maybe you do know this. Um, but there's a probably good chance you don't. If you come here week in and week out, you might lose touch with this reality. Here's the reality. This is a rare and special place. <laughs> I don't know if you guys resonate and connect with that. Um, a lot of churches, especially in this area, see it as their mission to get you in the door, and they proclaim something to you, and then you guys go home. This church says, you know what? Yes, we want you in the door. We want to proclaim to you, but we believe our mission is to get involved in the town square. Uh, this past week, uh, Tim was referencing the TIN. This past week, um, because of the work that has been done, uh, there are others that kind of look to what the factory and the TIN are doing, and they're like, okay, we want to come learn. So this past week, we had a whole group from Conestoga Valley, some, um, some of the elementary uh, principals, we had the school social worker, we had uh, some people in the community, some parents, a pastor, and they're sitting in the room and they're kind of engaging and talking and learning and asking questions. Say, how did this thing happen that you guys are doing? This partnership, how did they take place? I'm sitting over in the one end, and Tim doesn't even know this story. <laughs> this, I'm sitting over here and there is a young lady, I believe, I'm not quite sure what her role it was in the public school, but uh, she, held, uh, she held an official role. And as Tim is talking, and sharing, and, and his heart's coming out. This is what I hear her say. She leans over to the person directly beside me and whispers, I don't go to church, but if I would, that's where I would go. I was like, yes, you need to go. Um, that is, so you, this is a special place, and it is attractive to the world. When they see a church, it's willing to sacrifice and sacrifice and do some things that are very different to engage the public school, to engage business owners, to engage um, Lancaster general health, to engage, you go on down the list of all the partnerships have. So thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for what you guys are doing, the impact it makes with the Together Initiative and in the factory. Now, with that said, um, what I want to jump into this morning, to, if, if you'll kind of track with me, I think, let me ask a question that if, I think if you step into this question, it'll help this morning mean a lot more to you. The question is, what is it, if you could change one thing to have the life that you really want, what is that thing? What is the thing that if you could overcome the, the addiction that, that has you, the, the idiosyncrasy about your personality that's like, blah, or the, maybe it's your family of origin or something about that's been passed down to you or your circumstances or the painful place that you find yourself in or the, the broken relationship or the divorce that's pending or the divorce that was, what is the thing that you are fighting with and struggling with and saying, if I could tackle that I would have life and life to the full. You have a thing? Most of us do. I have a thing. I have a couple things, actually. But I can think of one. 
Now, the follow-up question is, how do you tackle that thing? How do you go about changing that thing, impacting that thing? Think honestly about it. What do you do? What do you want to do? Now, some of you may begin to think, well, I need to go to a therapist. Some of you think, well, I need to come see Tim. Some of you think, well, you know what? I need to sit down with, I need to go back to school and get more education. Or some of you think, well, I don't know. I need to step away from this broken marriage. Or I need to step back towards the broken marriage that was and try and mend. Or I need to step out and have a conversation. Or I need to read a book. Or I need to go to a conference. Or you begin to think of all these things, and all of them are so good, I'm sure. But the cool thing about the church of Jesus Christ, if you're new to the church, welcome. The cool thing about the church of Jesus Christ is we have the answer to change that thing. And I want you to turn with me, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 1. I don't want to be reductionistic. I want to say that up front, meaning I don't want to boil your struggle down to just one solution. But this one solution that I give you, there's a lot of solutions to your struggle. We're, we're complex creatures, and your problem and your struggle is a complex thing. But there's a foundational thing that I want to give you that the scriptures lay out for. So this is like if you're going to tackle that thing and have life to the full, here's the thing that you want to go after. It's incredibly powerful and often missed. And most of us, as we give our answers to our thing, we're not thinking of this answer. 2 Peter chapter 1, look with me at verse 3. This is referring to God the Father. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. What does everything mean? What's everything mean? Everything, right? You're like, Adam, I don't know. What are you asking me that for? Turn to the person beside you. Some of you look a little sleepy. Turn to the person beside you and say, You have access to everything. Some of you are completely ignoring me. I'm going to give out prizes later, I promise, and you're not going to get a prize. I see some of you. So turn to that person beside you and say, you have access to everything. There you go. See, now look at that. I love it. Now, how do you get the, what's, what's, how do you get everything? So look at this verse. His divine power, referring to God the Father, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have everything that you need. Do you believe that? So I'm going, eh, Adam, I've been battling this thing that I thought about for a long time. I have gone to 10 counselors. I have, I have sat down with pastors. I have read books. I have gone to conferences, and I'm still battling this thing. But Peter says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now look at where it comes. Through, what's the answer? What's the thing? What's the solution? Through our knowledge of who? Of God. Of him. Who called us by his own glory and goodness. You know, what I find so fascinating is the glory of God, the greatness of God, the bigness of God is the cure for anything that ails us. But few of us give that as the answer to what ails us. You ever thought about that? <laughs> when you start thinking about how do I solve this thing, very few of us stop and said, oh, I know. I've got to get to know God. I've got to get to know him better and deeper and more intimately. Very few of us say that's the answer to what holds me back in life. But that's the answer Peter steps out and gives us. 
But what I'd like to do, I want to be really, this morning, I've been with you guys a couple times, and we've talked, I've shared a lot about Jesus and the gospel. This morning, I want to get really practical. This morning, I want to shift and really just come to you guys and say, let's get practical. How do I get to know God? How do you get to know God? What do you think? Take a minute, just turn to the person beside you and say, I don't know, here's what I think how a person should get to know God. Go ahead, take some time. Did I give you enough time? No? Some of you shaking your head, no, you didn't give enough time. How many of you are heard, how many of you heard something about going to church? Can you honestly see show of hands? Look at that. Tim. <laughs> how many of you said something about engaging, reading, studying, knowing the Bible? Everyone look around. Hold your hands up nice and high. Well done. That is an amazing, okay, put your hands down. That is an amazing answer, and we're going to end with that answer. I was a senior pastor before this role, and we had a thing called, um, we believed in what's a principle called the keystone habit. The keystone habit is a psychological, sociological thing that kind of says, okay, if, if I can do just one thing, a keystone habit is a, is a habit that we do habitually that by doing it naturally triggers other behaviors. So if I'm going to make change, I want to find out what the keystone habit is because by doing this one thing, I'm going to naturally trigger a lot of other things. As a church, as a senior pastor, we made that one thing, reading the Bible, and we went at it with everything we had. It's really cool. We study keystone habits. How many of you made your bed today? Can I see a show of hands? Here's what keystone habits, the studies show, those of you who made your bed are better with money than the person who didn't raise their hand. Huh? What do you think of that? Yeah, some of you are going, I knew it, honey. I knew it. That's the problem. You don't make the bed. Another keystone habit is if you, if you want to the exercise, they say to actually lay your exercise clothes out at night before you go to bed. And it's just a simple habit that's not hard to do, that's not difficult. But by doing this thing habitually, when I wake up, I naturally get into my gym clothes and go work out. Uh, so again, we believe in, so reading the scriptures is something I am so passionate about, and we're going to end with that reality. However, do you know what I'm very passionate about in my role? We have made Christianity a white-collar, Western-educated system. Your pastor stood up this morning and offered to you as a guest a what? What did he offer you? A book. Awesome. Great book. Nothing wrong with it but it's a book. We tell you to go home and read your Bible. What do you do if you can't read? What do you do if you didn't graduate high school? What do you do if you have learning disabilities? Or what do you do if you're not a white-collar thinker and we stand up on these stages and present more of a white-collar system? What do you do? You sometimes sit on the outside and say, I don't know how to engage God. I don't really enjoy reading. Quiet times are really kind of boring for you. When I read the Bible, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Or I, I fall asleep when I read. Or I struggle to read. Or I'm dyslexic and I get everything all jumbled up in my head. So what I want to do for you in a very practical way is give you, we're going to talk about reading the Bible, 
But I'm going to give you some very practical tools of how to get to know God aside from reading the Bible. Because the Bible gives us other opportunities to do that. So I want to give you those tools to do it. I also want to take this moment to say thank you to this church for Katie Byler's work. I know she's stepping out because she's about to become a mom. Um, but you realize literacy, when we talk about literacy, <laughs> because of our white-collar, Western, educated system of faith, when you are not literate, you're going to struggle to connect with God in most churches in America today. So because of her work, yes, we talk about how it's impacting education. But man, it impacts far more than education when a, when a child can learn how to read and engage a thing called the Bible. Side note, come back. Here we go. I want to show you a couple ways to connect with God outside of reading the scriptures. I'm reading this verse. Just listen to this one. I want to read it to you. Romans chapter 1. What is the very first attribute we learn of God in the Bible? When you think about attributes, attributes are the thing that describes you. So if you say Adam has some attributes, you might give me some things that say this is true of Adam. True of God. God is love. God is holy. God is sovereign. God is all-knowing. God is, you go through all these attributes. What's the very first attribute we have of God in the Bible? Do you know what it is? Some of you quote Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, what? Created very first thing we learn about God, Genesis 1.1. Romans chapter 1 says this. Let me read. Just listen to this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Romans chapter 1 points a truth out that I hold very passionately. The scriptures, to the best of my knowledge, never defend the existence of God. Never the scriptures simply open up and say, in the beginning, God. It just assumes his existence. Romans chapter 1, the most brilliant religious mind of the first century, the apostle Paul, brilliant, never defends the existence of God. What he knows and understands is God is intuitive to us. We know it. However, the problem is we suppress that knowledge. We push it back. We push it away. We, we get into all kinds of other stuff. And so he says that suppression is going to have its day where it is exposed. And listen to this. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So see what Paul's saying? He's saying, listen, people know God exists. And you may say, well, Adam, I talk to friends that say they're atheists and they argue against the existence of God. And they tell me God doesn't exist. Paul comes along and says, no, 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 guys, it is plain as the nose on your face. Look what Paul says, verse 20, or listen to this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So in other words, that verse says one day when you stand before God, and he looks at you and says, hey, how come you didn't follow me? The, the, the answer, well, God, you see, I grew up in a home with an atheist mom and a dad. And I just, or God, I grew up, I grew up, oh my goodness, God, I grew up in northern India in a Hindu family. God, that's where I grew up. I didn't have access to you. You know what God's going to say according to Romans chapter 1? Did you look around? Did you ever go to the ocean and feel the power of the waves suck you in? Did you ever stand on top of a mountain and a vista and look out across? Did you ever look up at the night sky at night or, or, or just look inward at the human body? Did you ever do that? Well, yeah, God, I did that. And what did you feel? Well, you know, 
I, I kind of sense there's probably more to life than here and now. I, I kind of sense this couldn't have all just happened. Bingo. You're without excuse. So I would say to you, creation reveals to us the beauty, the power, the majesty, the greatness of God. The other morning, I'm driving, to work, I'm driving to work, I'm taking my kids to school, and the sun's coming up, and it's hitting these clouds, and I just said to my kids, wow, look at that. My kids are like, yeah, Dad, that's kind of neat. Yeah. <sighs> Let me text my friends. <laughs> it's not to put my kids down. Take that stuff in. Those of you who are going to be hunting, maybe you're already hunting now, maybe you're hunting. Do you ever hear that statement? I could, I could get plenty of God out in the deer stand. You do. You're right. Take it in. Soak it up. Creation is one of the greatest tools given to us to get to know our Creator. Spend time observing it, looking at it, taking it in, being in all of it, and say, wow, look what God did. Now, second thing I want to give you, second one, Genesis 1.27 says, in the image of God, we are created. So when I go stand in the mirror this morning to get dressed, I'm trying to decide, do I really wear a t-shirt today? That's the only really factory clothes I have. Is this okay? Is this going to fit the dress code? I am kind of overweight right now. Is it going to make me look fat? Or do I, I'm standing looking in the mirror. What is, that, what is that thing I'm looking at? Am I looking at Adam? Am I looking at Adam, the real Adam? No. What is that in the mirror? What is it? What is, is it an image? It's a picture of Adam. It's not, it's not Adam. It's an image of Adam. It's a reflection of Adam. That is what you and I are. So I th- here's the second thing. Get to know yourself. If you want to get to know God, spend time paying attention to you. This is a powerful thing. And I think it's often for two reasons. One is, do you ever get angry? How many of you get angry? Put your hand up. Let me see your show. How many of you are brave to say it? Yeah, right. Is it okay to get angry? Some of you are going, oh, well, yeah, well. Does God ever get angry? Yes, he does. Is it okay to be sarcastic? (laughs) Tim's down here going, I hope so. (laughs) If you know Tim, Tim's Tim's got a lot of sarcasm. God is sarcastic in the scriptures. There are places where God eggs people on in in a very sarcastic tone. Is it okay to joke and, make, and, and, and just cut it up? Yes. God laughs. Jesus laughs. So we, we want to pay attention to the things that are inside of us because they say something about our creator. More than that, pay attention. So many of us are disconnected from ourselves. I, 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 I'm a test to this. I am um, this, about a week ago, my daughters uh, and I were, actually one of my, do- my both daughters were there. We're walking up to something and, and, and we run in an encounter, three people that have wounded me deeply that I'm not yet restored with. And it, it's one of these tension points of, I want to work through this. I don't know how to work through this. It's a mess. It's hard. So there they are. My daughters are there with me. I just put my head down. I, I tried to, I don't know. But here's all I knew. My heart was racing. Pay attention to that. Pay attention. They, they were like, oh, Adam, great to see you. And I'm like, you are so, what, what do I do with that? I was so bound up inside. I, was so, I didn't know what I was. I walk away. Um, uh, my daughter says to me, Dad, that was, felt kind of awkward for you, huh? And I'm like, 
how did you know? Well, Dad, you looked at the floor. You didn't know. I mean, it was like you want to get out of there. I knew it. So I then relayed the story to my, dad, my wife. My wife that night says to me, I'm reading a book in bed. You know, I'm sitting there reading. And she says to me, um, hey, so she wants to talk about this. And I just kind of give her a short answer back. And finally I thought, oh, put the book down, Adam. I need to be honest with her. I don't know how I feel. I don't know why this is hard for me, but it's something I've had to learn with therapy and a counselor to step into. For every reason, I feel things and I get conflicted inside, but I don't always know how to name what I feel. Part of that journey of, of journeying, how do, I, how do I work through that? My wife is a total opposite. My wife in the moment knows what she feels, why she feels it. She's present to herself. I am not. There's a lot of reasons why I'm not. There's things I'm working on, but as I step into that and get honest with that and real with that and own that, I am getting to know my creator, and I'm becoming more and more dependent upon him. So get to know yourself. Let me give you two quotes on this one. I wrote these down because I want you to hear these, because these are coming from men that we look to as pillars of the faith. John Calvin is the first one. Now, you guys know who John Calvin is, right? Some of you know who John Calvin is. He was a, this was written in 1530. He was a church leader. He was um, the governor of Geneva. He was persecuted for his faith. We still have a debate to this day over Calvinism versus Arminianism. He was one of the main players in that. Here's what he says. Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. So he says, we, our wisdom of life exists in two parts, God and us. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of them proceeds and gives birth to the other. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, at times, at times, my knowledge of myself actually gives birth to my knowledge of God. And vice versa. This one comes from this next one from Augustine, who was on the, on the northern rim of Africa in 400 AD. Here's what Augustine says. He says, how can you draw close to God when you are far from yourself? Then this is his prayer that he wrote in his confessions. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. These are pillars of the faith. These are guys that fought to get the scriptures in the everyday language so that we could have them and read them. And they're both saying, yeah, read the Bible, but know yourself. So I'd say get to know yourself. If you, I'm going to give you, <laughs> here I am saying readings, you know, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. If you want to get to know yourself, if you want to start in the journey and you're a reader, track that book down and read it. Soak it up. Run after it. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Give you a great start to get to know yourself. Next one, community. So look out to creation. Look inward at yourself. Look to other people. Look to other people. C.S. Lewis says it this way. C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. You know the Chronicles of Narnia? He wrote, and he said, it takes six groups of people for you to really get to know who you are. So coming back to knowing yourself. So in other words, when I go to work and I'm at the factory, I'm functioning in a certain capacity. In that capacity, I'm pulling on certain skill sets that I'm not using when I'm a father. Right? There's things that I'm doing at work that I'm not going to use at home. So as I'm at work and I'm with, I'm with colleagues, there are certain parts of me that are going to come out that aren't going to come out, say, when I'm with my wife. And sometimes they do, and it makes our marriage not a lot of fun. Right? Or with my kids, and my kids are like, Dad, we're not at work. I don't ever really say that, but at times I think they feel it, right? So, so but when I'm with my kids and my wife, another part of me comes out. Now, when I go on the bike ride next week, yikes, I'm going to fall here. That would be great. I fall and break something. I can't ride next week. Yes. Just hit me. <laughs> As I go on that bike ride next week, I'm with a whole other group of people. 
Pedro Rivera, the, the, the Secretary of Education in Pennsylvania. I mean, that's, that's like, wow. I mean, I, so I'm going to, a whole other part of me is going to come out. C.S. Lewis says it takes six groups of people to really get to know yourself, to be in that community. Now, let me give you, um, there in Peter, if you flip back just a page, I want you to see this verse. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Uh, where is it? Chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says this. The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So they, the end is coming, so, so really be clear in your head. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to each other without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others faithfully. Now look at this next phrase. God's given you a gift. If you're a follower of his, he's given you a gift. Some of those gifts you see referenced in scriptures, gifts of giving, gifts of hospitality, gifts of serving, gifts of administration, uh, gifts of teaching, gifts of pastoring, gifts of evangelism. So he's given you a gift. Now look at what he says. He says, I want you to love each other deeply. I want you to use these gifts. And as you use those gifts, you're administering. Look at what it says, verse 11. If anyone, I'm sorry, back up, verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has given to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. So when Tim uses the gift that God has given him, guess what he's giving you? God's grace. When you allow, it's so interesting to me, we as humans hate being served by others. I don't know why. It's just, it's probably rooted in pride at some level and people have studied this. And, but we don't like it. We want to be the ones serving. But when you allow someone to serve you and you receive it in community, what you're actually doing is getting to know who? God. You ever thought of it that way? By you receiving from someone who's giving of their spiritual gift, you're receiving something of God and his grace. But see, we, when we don't pay attention to this, we cut off that knowledge of God. So, that's, so we, have, we have creation. We have know yourself. We have community. The next one I want to mention to you is pain and weakness. Now, I'm just going to dip my toe in this pool because this is a deep, deep well. And it's, I'm not going to sit here and... I'm, this is a hard one. Trauma and difficult past and abuse and neglect and losing jobs and divorces and all these things are, are, are so difficult. Yet what I have found is when I pull people and I say, what has God used most in your life for you to get to know him? Almost always. Do you know what I hear? Well, there was that time. There was that moment. My home that divorce, when I lost my job, when I had a heart attack, when I had a stroke, when I had a bike to Harvard. <laughs> I'm going to get it in there and get it in there a lot. Pain and weakness is something most of us medicate ourselves from in our Western culture, but it is one of the number one tools God uses to reveal himself to you. Romans chapter 5, listen as I read this one. Romans chapter 5 says it this way. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. How many of you have ever rejoiced in your suffering? 
I'm not going to see a show of hands, but I'm guessing it's probably a low number. I'm not sure I do it often. That's why my wife's had to say to me, sweetie, you're really kind of getting negative about this Harvard thing. Like, let's be positive about it. Because I'm not rejoicing. I'm going to suffer. It's supposed to rain, and it's going to be cold. And my body hurts when I get off that. I mean, so I'm not rejoicing. Very few of us rejoice in our suffering. Paul says rejoice. Why do we rejoice? Well, listen, listen to what he says. So he says, rejoice in your suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. When you suffer well, you persevere through it. Perseverance, character, you want to develop character? You've got to suffer, persevere, character is developed. And character, hope. And when you continue reading, it's ultimately hope of who Jesus is and the future that you have with him. But getting to know Jesus in that hope comes through what? Suffering. You know, I've heard it said that you only grow to the threshold of your pain. That's it. You only grow to the threshold of your pain. Another way to say it is you don't know God is all you need until God is all you have. So we come back to first or second Peter and we say, okay, I got to get to know God. God is my everything. God is my all. Well, sometimes I don't really connect with that until he is all I have. Until everything else I've been living for has been stripped from me. The other famous verse I'll read for you in suffering and then we'll end. I'll wrap it up with reading the scriptures. The Apostle Paul, who wrote, um, I mentioned earlier, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of all these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I would say the greater your calling in life, the more you will actually suffer. I've seen it bear up over and over again. Because God says, I want to use you and I want people to see me through you. And if you just walk around like this, like you're the stuff, people aren't going to see me. So I'm going to make sure you stay humble so they see me. So the Apostle Paul connects with this. He's going to give me something hard to keep me humble and dependent upon him. And so he says, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times, specific times, I picture him coming to a healing service and, and letting Benny Hinn or someone smack him on the head and he's trying to get healed very three very specific times. Like, please heal me, God. Please heal me. He pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But here's the answer God gave him. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you want to get to know God? To have that thing overcome that you thought about at the beginning of this message? You've got to step into pain and weakness to really get there. So that's another one. Now, final one I'll mention, and then I'm done. So we have creation. We have get to know yourself. We have um, community. Spend time in community. We have suffering. Step into it. And again, I, all these could be their own message. So I, that's why I, I don't just want to rip through them, but the final one is God's word. That's the one most of us go to. Look back with me at 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to demonstrate God's word is actually one of the top ones he says here. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, what is these? The scholars debate on what these is referencing. It, it's likely going back there and talking about through his knowledge, who has called us, and, and, but he kind of builds in here. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Participate in the divine nature. That phrase is like, wow. Woo. 
I get to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Get to know God. Where are God's promises? Where are they found? Here they are. Here they are. Now, I need a, I need a volunteer to end this with me. <laughs> my daughter, do you hear my daughter groan? It's going to give away what I'm going to do, but just forget she groaned. How many of you have never had a 100 grand bar? Never. My son's putting his, you've never had one? For real? How, nice and high. Who's never had one? Okay, now those of you who would like to have one, keep your hand up. Nice and high. You've never had one? No, 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 put your hand down. If you've never had one and would like to have one. If you've never had one and would like to have one. Right there, blue shirt. Come on up here. You come over here on this side here. Here you go. What's your name? Owen. Owen. I love that name. I have a nephew named Owen. Good to meet you, Owen. How old are you, Owen? Uh, 13. 13. Are you allowed to have karma with braces? Yes. You can? Are you sure? <laughs> I'm not going to get in trouble with your mom or dad. They pay a lot of money for them. Yes. Okay. You sure? Yes. Okay. So you've never had one of these? Owen, this thing, this is my wife's favorite candy bar. Do you know that? I like Snickers, but she loves these things. Oh, and there's actually two. This pack says two pieces, so it's a share pack, right? So I'm supposed to share this with you. Oh, and before I share it with you, I want to tell you all about it. This thing is absolutely amazing. <laughs> oh, and the caramel in that. Do you like caramel? Have you ever had caramel? Like on a Sunday? Mmm, Owen. Oh, Owen. The caramel is unbelievable, Owen. It also says, now, Owen, I'm not a big chocolate fan, but it says milk chocolate. I can do better with chocolate. I like chocolate when it's mixed with things like caramel. Mmm. Oh, sorry, Owen. I'm spitting on you. Don't want to do that. Excuse me. I don't want this to get in the floor either. Sorry, sorry. That's, I don't know who cleans, but... Mmm. I know, and the final thing that has in it is these crispy crunchies. Do you like Rice Krispies? You do? Not really? You don't like Rice Krispies? So, Owen, would you like to taste this? Would you like a piece? Owen, here's the thing. You really like some? Can I throw it to you? I'm spitting all over the Can I throw it to you? Oh, you want that one? <laughs> Here, Owen, go ahead. Thank you. You have a seat. <laughs> now, here's the thing. My wife told me, I did this, oh, I was a youth pastor. I did this for the very first time, and she came up and said to me, sweet, that's the most disgusting illustration you ever do. Don't ever do that again. So I honored her, and I never did it in a large group like this. I, I shifted it into, I don't know if Tim, ha if you guys do this here, but we do like a partnership class when I was a senior pastor. There was four classes we work people through. And so I, because re reading the Bible was so important to me, I shifted this illustration into that class. My wife never had to take that class, so she never saw me do this illustration. So as I was preparing for this talk and kind of thinking, what do I do? And I said, sweetie, I'm going to do this illustration. She said, oh, no, please, sweetie, don't do that. Don't do that. It's so gross. And I said, well, I'm going to use the candy bar that you really like to try and help offset it. Um, well, that said, because I did this against my wife's better judgment, here, sweetie. <laughs> and who, 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 else, who else never had one? You never had one? I saw someone else's hand back here. Here you go. Have, have a candy bar. All right, look at that. Good hands. 
Now, why did I do that to poor Owen? And all of you are scarred now, seeing anything drop out of my mouth, right? Why did I do that? Here's what happens. Here's my greatest fear for most Christians. Most Christians are not reading the scriptures for themselves. Statistics tell us, if we pass the mic and have you answer the question, are you doing a consistent quiet time? The majority of this room would say, I am not. What most Christians are doing is depending upon Tim or myself to dispense to you what I have already chewed up. Now, that's not all bad, okay? Because as I mentioned earlier, Tim has a gift. Hopefully, I have a gift. I'm using that gift and dispensing God's grace. I will also say, if Owen, Owen, when's the last time you ate? Did you have breakfast this morning? No? Did you eat last night? You did? What did you eat last night? What is it? Spaghetti. Good stuff. So Owen had spaghetti last night. So Owen's not that hungry this morning. If Owen hadn't eaten in two weeks, and Owen was malnourished and starving, this, ugh, he would eat it and probably still enjoy it. It would nourish him. He's like, ugh. It would nourish him, and the sugar would still get into his system and help him at some capacity. So it's not all bad that you're starving for God and his word and coming here so Tim can feed you. That's good. I'm glad Tim is feeding you. You should come to a church and be a part of a church where you are fed. However, I would say to you, and I would propose to you, if you really want to solve that, come back to the very beginning, that thing that you want to overcome, and you want life to the full, I would challenge you, I would challenge you to get to know God for yourself. To taste, the, the, the psalmist says it this way, taste and see. Mm. Did, it, did you have it yet, Owen? You're going to wait? You can share it with your dad? No, I don't blame you. It's good stuff. It says, taste and see that God is good. So I want to encourage you this morning. What you're doing in your quiet time is what I call it, where you're praying and reading the scriptures, you are tasting for yourself. You aren't just letting someone talk to you about a hundred grand bar and tell you how amazing it is as they chew on it themselves. You are literally putting it in your mouth mm, and savoring every bite. Take a practical with you, then I get off the stage because I already see that I'm over time, and I think you guys switch your service times, and I'm, I'm having children's workers right now probably revolting and wanting to kill me. The Version Bible app, I want to give you a really practical thing, because I want to come back to how we make this a white-collar thing sometimes. How many of you use the Version Bible app? Praise God. Keep using it. The Version Bible app, you know, you, if, you, if you say, Adam, I don't read, that's amazing, that's fine. Don't read. Let it read to you. The Version Bible app has this cool feature. I can just click a button and listen. It is so cool. Just listen to the Word of God being read. And say, okay, God, speak to me. Literally pray, God, I want to hear you. And as soon as something stands out to you, stop it. Just boop, stop, and meditate on that thought. It's that simple. The YouVersion Bible app also has video plans. You can watch the Bible and some of their plans. You can go onto their plans and you can get into community and you can share your, you can actually be friends with people and do the reading plans together and comment together and talk about it and encourage each other. Here's the thing I want to throw out ultimately to be very practical. Statistics tell us 
For a quiet time in a Bible reading to truly set in, you need to read four mornings or evenings, days a week. Four, that's all you're shooting for. And I want to tell you, here's the other thing. I don't know how to bike when I got a bike. I didn't know how to bike. Tim took me out on some rides. Did I go from biking nada to biking 30 miles over day, overnight? Yes, someone said yes. I didn't. It doesn't happen. What do you do when you go from nothing to four? I'm next, next week, I'm going to celebrate one day. I mean, throw a party. Celebrate the little wins. Give your wife and your husband a high five, your kids. Yes, you did one day. Amazing. Next week, go for two. Go for three. Before long, you're at four. And actually, what ends up happening, statistics say, those who study this, once you hit four, five, six, and seven kind of naturally come because it starts to create a hunger in you, and you naturally want it then, and you start to pick it up without even thinking about it. So you're creating a habit. So get to know God. Here's what I want to end. I want to pray for you guys. Here's the beauty. I've talked about Jesus the last couple times here in the gospel. And this is a church that is big on Jesus. Why did Jesus come to this earth? You know what he did? Peter says it. He says, I came to bring you home. Jesus came to represent to us the Father, to show us what the Father, who he is, how he thinks, how he feels, to show us God. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the primary purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to give you and to give me the Father. That is why I come back to the beginning of that passage and Peter says, listen, if you want the life that you want and you want it to be life to the full and you want to overcome the things you want to overcome, access the Father through Jesus and spend your days meditating, dwelling on, thinking about, getting to know the creator of heaven and earth, your Father. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your grace and mercy that was bestowed on us through Jesus. Um, God, thanks for Owen this morning. <laughs> Gets to come up here and have some fun. And um, God, I, I want to thank you. Thank you that you're a God who said, I want them to know me. And I'm going to cross heaven and earth so that they can know me. I'm going to paint it in the stars and I'm going to, I'm going to stretch out the seashores and I'm going to give them mountains and I'm going, to, I'm going to intricately design them so they can look in upon themselves and they can walk in community. And God, yeah, you're a father who's with us in hard times, who's saying, come to me, come to me. God, and when we hit that spot where we're coming to you and we're seeing you and we're knowing you, oh, it brings us life and life to the full. Thank you for being a God who didn't stay disconnected and detached, but stepped towards us. Thank you for a God that wrote your image all over us. And more than anything, thank you for a God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us that our, by simple faith in him, we have access to getting to know you. And God, help us as Christ followers that are in this room to spend our days getting to know you. 
Thank you for this church. Would you bless Grace Point? Would you bless Tim and, and the leadership here and the elders and even this meeting coming up this week? God, would you richly bless them and help them to be courageous and bold and continue to walk down this road that you've called them to to make a difference here in their community? We love you. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray.